Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. while and give you some instructions because we have special gifts for you this morning, a little bling, uh, and, and so uh, we're excited and we'll honor you. Um, just so y'all know, let me, let me just clue y'all in on a little secret. Y'all don't know this, but in my shower, I sound like John and Derek when they sing. <clears throat> y'all didn't know that, <clears throat> just, just so y'all know, just so y'all know. And when I'm playing air guitar, I sound like Steve and Garrett, and uh, it's just the way it is, you know. But we're glad you're here. Well, I told you last week that one of my least favorite words in the English language is the word nothing. In fact, I've come to this conclusion. I hate the word nothing because the word nothing reveals lack. It reveals and holds no element of promise. It contains no ounce of hope contained in it. It's just nothing. And so I tried to explain it in terms that you might understand. And so we're going to add a few to it this week. Like, it's that moment, guys, when, well, I guess girls too, I don't know. But, but you spend hours on your car like you're working on it. And you've got like sweat running down your face and got grease all over your hands. And, you, and you're going to save all that money because you didn't take it to the mechanic. And you, you, you're working and you're borrowing tools and you're running to like O'Reilly's like 19 times because you don't know what you're doing. And, and after like three and a half hours, you're finally finished. And you get into your car feeling like you've accomplished something. And you turn the key and nothing. I hate nothing. It's, it's that, that thing that happens like uh, when, when you reach a certain age, because some of you don't ever think this is going to happen to you, but it's going to happen, I promise. Like you, you wake up and you recognize that you're not the 18-year-old you used to be and things are changing and gravity is taking its toll. And, and so, so even though you don't want to, you, you strap on the running shoes and you grit your teeth and you get out of bed and, and you go run like, I don't know, forever, and and like three weeks in a row, every morning you go out and and you kill yourself running, and after three weeks you step on the scales, see some of y'all have experienced this, and and nothing, nothing's changed except for you feel horrible, and your feet hurt, and your knees hurt, and your back hurts. Okay, y'all feeling me now. See, uh, so it's that moment where you watch everybody throw parties and they buy gifts and they celebrate. Then when it's your turn, when it's your turn, when it's your special occasion, when it's your special day, there is nothing. Like, come on, man, help me out just a little bit on, on like when father, never mind, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Nothing. I need counseling, I understand. Um, uh, see, there, there, this, this demand is there, but the resource is not. The need is apparent, but there doesn't seem to be a solution. It, a, a withdrawal is requested, but there, don't, there, there doesn't seem to be any funds available. And it, so your tanks are empty, your cabinets are empty, your bank account is empty. There's nothing in reserve. There, 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 there's relationship longed for, but you come up against nothing. I hate the word Nothing. 
but I hate the experience of nothing worse than I hate the word nothing. I wonder if maybe this morning some of you are presently living through a nothing moment. Expectations go unmet. It, you're dry when you expected to find an oasis. The caring has become cursing. Wedding has turned into war. Health has been lost. It's that season of nothing. We, we talked about that. So, so I, I ask you this question. How do you live through the seasons of nothing? There are several nothing accounts in Scripture. You'll remember last week that we dealt with one nothing experience. It was the moment when Jesus looks at the disciples in a moment of compassion and He asks the disciples to resource His rescue. He sees at least 4,000 men that are hungry and, and He says, I want to feed them. I need you to feed them. And they have nothing. And in those moments, what happens is Jesus publicly exposes their nothing so that they would have to learn to rely on Him and to rely on other people around them. And then not only that, He asked them again, what do you have? And they finally come to this place where they admit, we've got seven loaves and a few fishes. And, and so what He does is he, he allows the moment of nothing to expose the lie of nothing, the lie of lack. They had allowed their overwhelming need and the size of their need to overwhelm the truth that they did have something they could offer. And so this morning I want us to go forward. I want you to join me in a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's 1 Kings chapter 18. In 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, beginning in verse 1, there's a little clue here in verse 1 that will lead us into verse 42. Listen to what it says. It says, A long time passed. Then God's word came to Elijah. The drought was now in its third year. The message that came to Elijah was this. Go and present yourself to Ahab. I'm about to make it rain on the country. And Elijah set out to present himself to Ahab. And the drought in Samaria at the same time was most severe. Verse 42. Meanwhile, Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bowed deeply in prayer, his face between his knees. Then he said to his young servant, On your feet now, look toward the sea. And he went and looked and reported back, I don't see a thing. Keep looking, said Elijah, seven times if necessary. And sure enough, the seventh time he said, Oh yes, a cloud, but very small, no bigger than someone's hand rising out of the sea. Quickly then, on your way, tell Ahab, saddle up and get down from the mountain before the rain stops you. Things happened fast. The sky grew black with wind-driven clouds and then a huge cloud burst of rain with Ahab hightailing it in his chariot to Jezreel. And God strengthened Elijah mightily, pulling up his robe and tying it around his waist. Elijah ran in front of Ahab's chariot until they reached Jezreel. In a different version, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 43, it says this, Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And when he, looked, when he went up and looked, there is nothing there. He said, seven times Elijah said, Elijah said, go back. See, the, the, the scene is very simple. The land is dry. They are right smack dab in the middle of a God-prophesied drought. You think it's dry in Oklahoma about right now. It had nothing, I hate that word, on this drought. This drought was severe. Things were dying. People were dry, dying. Uh, flocks were dying. Crops were dying. It was a severe drought. But now, uh, Elijah comes back into the picture and he has declared that 
Although I said there was going to be no rain, now three and a half years later, I'm back on the scene to declare to you that although there's not been a single drop and there's been no rain, I'm telling you now there will be rain. In fact, it's right on the heels of a mighty victory. You know the story. Elijah goes to the top of the mountain and he has this head-to-head battle with 400 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, and he wins this mighty victory, and it's a great day. And he stands up now and he says, now I've gotten a promise from God, a word from God, a declaration from God. that there's going to be rain you you know the story okay so Elijah goes into prayer and he sends his servant out to examine the horizon for the sole purpose of spotting rain y'all just got to help my my imagination gets the best of me but I had this sneaking suspicion that his servant must have been named Val some of y'all get that later he's the first recorded storm tracker he goes out and up, there ain't nothing there. I, I bet he had a chariot like with like steel plates. All, never mind, that's a different story. He's out there checking for rain. And time and time again, he comes back with this dreaded response. I see nothing. Nothing. There's nothing there. Now, I just need you to understand that if I had been Elijah and my servant, had gone to the mountaintop on my instructions to see rain. And he comes back like twice and says, I see nothing. I would have had a discussion with my servant. I would have been like, come on, man. My my reputation as a prophet is on the line here now. Come on, buddy. Look harder. I would have had to say something to him like, come on, dude, open your eyes. There's got to be something. Don't tell me there's nothing because, like, people are starting to talk about me now and they're starting to make fun of me and there's that crazy prophet that thinks he can prophesy rain. Nothing. Nothing. Six times he goes back and he sees nothing. So what do you do when you expect to see something and instead you see nothing? What do you do when you expect a miracle but you see no change? Come on, I'm preaching right now. Some of you right, some of you are living right here. You have been expecting God to break in and change the atmosphere around your life and yet you see nothing happening. What do you do? What do you do when you're holding on to a hope and it seems like you are wasting your time? Well, Elijah teaches us three very important lessons that I need to teach you this morning and share with you. The first one is this. To live through the nothings, you must believe promise over proof. Say, say, man, don't you wish, I, I got to put myself in the story. Don't you wish that you could have been like standing next to Elijah when he got ready to pray? I mean, surely his prayer must have been like a, a pardon the pun, a gully washer prayer. I mean, I would have liked to have listened to his prayer. It must have been the most faith-filled prayer ever prayed on the face of the planet, right? Uh, to, to, to be able to pray and believe that there's been no rain and now there's going to be rain, surely you would. Can I mess with you a minute? I don't think his prayer was that faith-filled. In fact, I don't think his prayer required any faith at all. See, I, I would like to submit to you that he had already been promised rain. 
So there was no faith required in the prayer because all I'm doing now, God, is I'm just asking you to live up to your word. And oh, by the way, since I just killed 450 prophets with your help and, and I've seen this great victory, I have a track record with you that I understand that God, if you said it was going to rain, it doesn't require any faith on my part. All I got to do is I just got to ask you to accomplish what you said. Y'all ain't helping me none. See, 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 when he prays for rain and the proof says there is no sign of rain, the faith that Elijah had was not that he prayed and begged God. The faith was that he believed the promise more than he believed the proof. See, in the nothings, here's where I'm, I'm falling with this this morning. In, the, in your nothing seasons, I am not asking you to have some supernatural level of faith. In fact, the truth is that most of the time, when you're living in the season of nothing, you have very little faith to spare. Some of you don't feel like you can believe for much at all. You feel weak and wimpy in your faith. And I'm not even asking you to have superhero levels of faith. All I'm asking you to do is to, is to go back and remember, and I'm asking you, what did God promise to you that he said he would do? I recognize that the picture that you see right now and I recognize that the view that you are looking at right now and I recognize that the reality of the scene that you're examining right now screams nothing. But that wasn't the question. The question was, what did God say? What did he promise to you? Why, did, why, is, that, why is that important? Because he's not a man that he should lie. And that's important to remember what he promised because there's not one word that came out of his mouth that will ever hit the ground and fall out and void and not accomplish the task that it was assigned to. So if you can ever come back to the place where you remember the promise regardless of what the proof says. I can't get no help in here. See, you must come to the place where proof isn't more powerful than promise. See, some of you have proof that you have a disease. But can I remind you that you've been promised by his stripes we are healed. Oh, Y'all ain't helping me now. I'm right in your way you live. And some of you have proof of a broken marriage. But you also have a promise of being whole again. See, some of you have proof that your marriage is being broken right now, but you have a promise this morning that a three-strand cord cannot easily be broken. That's the promise of God to you, that if you could ever get God back in the mix, it doesn't matter what you've called each other, it doesn't matter how mean do you've been to one another, it doesn't matter how much you dislike each other right now, if you can ever get God back in the mix, it's a three-strand cord and He will work it out. That's the promise of God to you. I know the proof isn't there. But the promise is still alive. Some of you have proof of the fact that you're struggling financially. But you have a promise that he will live up to. And that is this. Simply in his own name. He is Jehovah Jireh. My provider. I open up my checkbook. And there are a lot of zeros and nothing in front of them. But I know that as long as I continue to do my part and I give what I'm supposed to give and I live within my means that there is a promise made unto me that the righteous are never seen begging for bread. They're never going to go in without because he cares about me. That's the promise. I know the proof right now doesn't live show me that and it would try to distract me out of believing it. But the promise is what I'm standing on. Some of you have proof of a crazy kid. 
but you also have a promise that not one member of your household will be lost. Some of you need to go back and remember the promises that God has made to you. Hang on to the promise even when all you see is proof of clear skies. Because he can make it rain. Y'all say some of y'all old folks like, what was that? That's a new way of praising. We're just going to start praising around here like this. He can make it rain everywhere. He can make it rain. All I see is clear skies, but he can make it rain. All I see is drought, but he can make it rain. All I see is sickness, but he can make it rain. All I see is distress, but he can make it rain. All I see is turmoil, but he can make it rain. All I see is lack, but he can make it rain. All I see is hurt, but he can make it rain. All I see is pain, but he can make it rain. All I see is wanting to give up, but he can make it rain. He can make it rain in your life. You don't have to believe the proof. You've got to believe the promise. See, there was faith involved. The faith involved was that he was required to believe God more than he was required to believe his servant's eyesight. In other words, oh, let's go old school. Whose report? Y'all want to do that little number? Whose report will you believe? It's all about believing the promise. The, the, the second thing is that I recognize is this. To live through the nothings, you must remain in position. See, I'm convinced that one of our biggest and our toughest challenges during the nothing seasons is to stay in position. When we go through nothings, we want something to happen so bad that we become distracted and we tend to get in God's way. I'm just talking about me. I'm not talking about you. I want you to notice that the Bible says that Elijah put his face between his knees and when the report of nothing came back six straight times, he never moved. Uh, I'm not even sure he looked up. Now, I can't prove it, so I'm not going to tell you he didn't. But what I do know for a fact is this, he didn't move. He stayed in the same position every time the report came back as nothing. I want to challenge you this morning that if you are in a season of nothing, it is time to take a cue from Elijah and stay in the position of prayer and refuse to be distracted and discouraged out of praying. See, I'm convinced that what happens is that when we begin to go into seasons of nothing, we have a tendency to post and share on Facebook more than we share with our Father. The only dilemma there is that nobody on Facebook can help you with your need, but if you would stay positioned, y'all ain't helping me not. Uh, some of you would stay positioned in prayer, your Father could come through. You've got to make up your mind that you will not leave the birthing position. That's what he was in. He was in a birthing position. And he refused to come out of it. And out of that position of prayer, God birthed rain in his desert. Too many of us pray, we see nothing, or we get a report of nothing, and we jump up and we leave the birthing position, and we abort the something that God was about to send our way. So we pray, we hear nothing, we get up and try to make things happen on our own. And we wind up in a situation... Y'all know what that is. That's like a situation gone really bad. Right? Because we take matters into our own hands. Oh, man, y'all are quiet this morning. See, I, I, I just believe that our seasons of nothings are often prolonged or permanent simply because we refuse to stay in a position of prayer. Just about the time the cloud's going to show up. 
like the six and a half time we send the servant out and say, is there anything? Is my marriage turning around? Are my kids beginning to straighten out? Is my job going to come through? Everything going to work out? We get up and we move because we see nothing. And we miss out on what God was going to do. Elijah didn't experience something out of nothing because after the first report of nothing, he gets up and worships more. Elijah does not see the report of nothing turn into a report of something because he gets up and dances more. It didn't happen because he gave more. It didn't happen because he prophesied more. It didn't happen because he worked more or worked harder. No, he just remains in the position of prayer And out of that position, something comes out of nothing. I just want to encourage some of you, you need to stick your head between your knees and kiss your distractions goodbye. Some of you are sitting right next to a distraction right now. And every time you're about to get a breakthrough, you ask them to give you a report. And they go on their natural eyesight or what they believe they know. Come on now. And it distracts you out of holding on to what God said was going to take place. And the naysayers and the doubters and the scoffers talk you into getting up and releasing a hold on what God said. We got to stay in position until we see blue skies that are invaded by a small cloud. And that's the third thing I want to tell you this morning is that to live through the nothings, you've got to learn that small cloud equals big miracle. Can you imagine, just imagine with me this scene, can you imagine what might have happened in this situation? If Elijah says to his servant, go out and see what you can see. And on the seventh time, thank you Jesus, he sees a small cloud the size of a man's hand. Now get this now. That means the servant can put up his hand and block out the entire cloud. It is small, tiny. Can you imagine what would have happened if Elijah had dismissed this cloud because it wasn't big enough? Like, well, I was expecting like a big cloud because I need a big miracle. So since you sent a small cloud, I'll dismiss that and wait for something else. Thankfully, Elijah was tuned in enough to recognize that there, because of that small cloud, it was the first indication of change. Let me see, let me see if I can help you. Too many of us overlook the small things that God brings into our lives. I'm trying to help you right now. Because, see, some of you have been crying out to God. Oh, God, i got to have a, a financial miracle. Like, I, I, I just graduated from college and I got like $900 million in loans. Right? And uh, you got to help me, God, got to help me. And you're working a job. And you go in, you stroll in there on Saturday, and they've given you a 20-cent raise. And you dismiss that because it's not big enough. 
It's just a small cleft. It's just the first indication of. Okay. How about we need a miracle and we begin to cry out to God. Oh, God, send me somebody. I need some help. Send me a mentor. Send me a, a spiritual father, a spiritual mother, somebody that can speak into my life. And, and, and he sends somebody and we don't like them. Like they're annoying. Like they know it all. Like they're obnoxious. Every time I try to do what I want to do, they want to step in and tell me to do something else and you're getting on my last nerve. One of those kind of people. And we fail to realize that what has just taken place is God just sent a small cloud into our life. And if we would have submitted and recognized and tuned in to what he was doing, it may just be that that small cloud could have produced a big miracle. I can't get no help in this house today because some of y'all thinking about the person you don't like right now that's a know-it-all that you wish would be quiet. We need a miracle and we're sitting in a service like this one and we sense his presence. And what we do is we overlook the fact that he's trying to inform you that big change is on the horizon and we just want to dismiss it as a good service. Who are we at church today? And we go out and we struggle and never recognize that what took place in that service was an indication. We need a breakthrough and what we do is we hear a message and we dismiss it as a good sermon. When really what it was, was it was an indication. And, it, and inside that sermon, there was contained a small cloud of wisdom that could produce a great deluge of change. But because we dismiss it as, well, the pastor preached a good sermon today. We missed the fact that it was a small cloud. And if we would have just tuned in and grabbed back onto the promise that God had given us, that word, that wisdom that was contained in that good sermon might just be the key. Small clouds, big miracles. Some of you are literally waiting on God to fix it all. And He's trying to fix it in steps. And you get dissatisfied with the small steps. And because you become dissatisfied with the small steps, you, you disqualify and dismiss and lose the big miracle that was on the horizon because you look back and you despise the day of small beginnings. And what I am trying to convince you of this morning is that you need to be more alert and you need to be more on guard and you need to be more perceptive and you need to be more careful to understand that the small things that God is doing in your life is only going to give birth to great miracles unless you discount the small things. Because, see, some of y'all struggling in your relationship, and you want it all fixed now. And the fact that he quit leaving the seat up after 20 years of doing so was just a small cloud. I want him to fix it all. He's mean to me. But he took one step. God, you got to fix my relationship. My wife nags me all the time. But, but today... She didn't. But that's not enough. God, fix it all. Small clouds. I need you to, like, help me with my kid, Lord, because, like, if you don't, he's not going to survive. 
and one day he cleans his room without being told. One day he speaks with respect. One day he honors. And it's a stinking small cloud in the grand scheme of things. But if I discount the one day, what do I have to do to get it into your life? What small thing is God bringing into your life that if you're not careful, you will dismiss or overlook? And in the same token, you will miss out everything God wanted to birth in your life. What one small thing, what one small glimpse of a miracle have you missed? I want to ask you this morning to look at the horizon again and see the small thing that God is doing, the 20-cent raise, the person, the attitude, the change. What one small thing? And hold on to that. That is a promise. That is a guarantee that if it's small, if you won't give up, it'll become big. So to live through the nothings, it's very simply... You've got to believe the promise over the proof. You've got to remain in position. And you cannot discount the small things God is beginning to do in your life, hoping for greater things. Father, this morning I pray for people under the sound of my voice that are living in seasons of nothing. I hate nothing. There are folks in this moment right now that feel like nothing's going right. They have no resources. They have nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. They're desperate. I pray in this very moment, Father, that you would allow us to learn to live through the nothings because the truth is, is that we have great promises. I pray that if nothing else out of this morning's message... It's a small cloud, but I I pray that this small cloud would would produce a big miracle. I pray that somehow, someway, I I don't know how you do this, but I just pray that even in this very moment, people under the sound of my voice will begin to remember promises that they've forgotten and that proof has caused them to forget. And I pray this morning that they would remember that every word that you say about their life is true and that every promise that you've made, you are guaranteed. We've got a track record with you. You're you're consistent. You're faithful. And I pray that every word would come back and play through their mind and through their spirit right now and I pray that they would remember all the promises you made what has God said about you come on think what has he promised you Father I pray that while we're holding on to that promise things get tough and we don't see the change that we desire to see I pray that we would stay in position we would not become distracted 
and we would not let the naysayers and the scoffers cause us to change position. I pray in the name of Jesus right now we would stay in a position of birthing, birthing and we would not give up on the miracle that you have for us. And God, I pray last but not least you would allow us to be alert and tuned in. Tune us in to even the small things that you're doing in our life. As Julie sings, I just sense that I need to give you a moment to think back. Some of you are going to have to dig deep, go way back to a promise that God made to you. For some of you, it was made at a youth camp when you were 12 years old. For others, it happened in your childhood. For, for others, it, you just need to dig through the layers and hear the promise again. Come on, listen to what he's saying to you and then I'll come back and close this. But I just sense i got to give you a moment. been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.